0: Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford, Woking, and Aldershot in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. The Guinness Book of World Records has got all kinds of interesting world records. There's a world record for the most number of rubber chickens (laughs) that you throw up in the air. Who knew? (laughs) The tallest building, the fastest runner. In the Guinness Book of World Records, there is the record of the youngest doctor. So I just want you to take a minute, if you're at home with your family, ask one another. Just say, how old do you think the youngest doctor in the world was? It's not Doogie Hauser, just so you know. Doogie Hauser was a television doctor, not a real doctor at 14. But the Guinness Book of World Records actually says the youngest doctor was 17 years old. 17 years old. It's an incredible achievement, actually. That person must have been extremely gifted, hardworking individual. I could just imagine though, 17, just, just imagine with me walking into your doctor's office sitting down and the doctor, the door opening up, the doctor walking in and it's a 17 year old, gifted 17 year old, yes, knowledgeable, yes, hardworking, yes, but still, I think I would be nervous, <laughs> 17. Some of us are early bloomers. When I was 14, I, I met Jesus for the first time. I didn't grow up in the church, but, but met him in my early teen years. By the time I was 16, I was in charge of our school Christian club. It became evident right away that, that I had a call to leadership. I was a little bit bright. I was gifted. I was hardworking, so I planned it all out. I would go to university, I would get my Bachelor of Arts and then I would go to the big Toronto in Canada and go to Knox College, which was the most prestigious divinity school in my, in my denomination at the time, I'd get my Master of Divinity, I'd already picked out the robes that I would wear and the dog collar, the whole shebang. <laughs> I knew what I wanted, I knew where I was going and I knew how to get there so my road to happy destiny the road towards my dreams took some unexpected twists and turns along the way i got lost in the woods and i ended up actually falling in the ditch age 19. i actually ended up in a psychiatric hospital for three weeks with a a severe uh, clinical depression almost comatose. I just had completely shut down and once I got out of the hospital I wasn't well enough to continue university. I had to drop out. I never did go back to university. Age 22 I ended up in women's shelters and I actually was in a maternity home for most of my pregnancy with a bunch of 14 year old girls as I tried to navigate the domestic violence in my first marriage. Age 25 When my husband at that time divorced me, he sent me a letter saying that he was divorcing me so that as a divorcee, I would never be able to do ministry again. I settled into life as a single mom and as a nanny. I thought that was it. My dreams were done and gone. My road to happy destiny had left me lying in the ditch. But somehow, somehow actually in the midst of it, I still knew that the Lord was with me. Whether I perceived it or not, he was there. And we hear that refrain in the story of Joseph. I know that we're we're on the sermon series right now called Holy Joe, where we're studying the life of Joseph. And we see him. He had his dreams and he was moving towards his road to happy destiny. And he also ended up in a ditch, actually in a pit. He ended up then enslaved. He ended up then in prison but the writer of genesis says the lord was with joseph all the way through god was with joseph even through pain and difficulty and trial there is rarely if ever a quick or a linear path between our dreams and their reality and in the words of aw tozer god is unable to use a man or woman greatly until he wounds them deeply we see this in the life of every biblical hero god uses suffering and i just want to be clear i'm not saying that god causes suffering i'm saying that god uses suffering to produce something beautiful that he can use many of us have suffered this year in COVID 19 many of us have suffered we've lost jobs we've lost Loved ones, we've been isolated, we've been alone. Many have struggled with, with low mood and, and depression. When I think in the midst of our suffering of this last year, the words of Joseph in Genesis 45, verse 5, bring fierce encouragement. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. And at this point, he's actually talking to his brothers who had sold him into slavery. So this is years later, about 13 years later. He's saying, don't be angry with me because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Joseph saw God's purpose at work in his pain. And I think he points us towards how we can as well. How do we hold on to encouragement that what the enemy meant for evil, God will work for good? I'll let these questions shape us as we, we think about this last year together. I think of James 1, verses 2 to 5. We're also familiar with this one. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance and let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything and if any of you lacks wisdom you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you perseverance is the fruit it comes out of suffering and I was saying um, to our live congregation upstairs I said hey guys guess what you made it, you're here, (laughs) we are here, we made it through, and if, if we've got nothing else as a gift out of this season, we have endured, we have persevered, and the scripture says that that perseverance will make us mature and complete, lacking nothing, that's the gift of this season to us. Romans 5 verses 3 to 4, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. There's the P word again, perseverance. (laughs) Perseverance, character, and character, hope. So here's the question I want to pose, pose to us today. What if God is more interested in what he's doing in you, in you, than what he's doing through you? What if God is more interested in what he's doing in you than what he's doing through you? I heard a British preacher 20 years ago uh, by the name of Graham Cook preach. And it's funny, he had these little catchphrases that he would throw out and they just kind of stuck and landed. And 20 years later, I'm still remembering. He said this. I love it. First, God calls you. And then he kills you <laughs> first he calls you and then he kills you. you're you like woohoo i'll sign up for that <laughs> he went on to said the problem between the problem with god and satan is that they're both trying to kill you <laughs> and the reality is there's lots in us that need to die so that the life of christ can come forth in us paul was really clear about this he said you know what i've been crucified with christ Stuff had to go, stuff had to die, so that the life I lived could be lived in by faith in the Son of God, so that the life of Jesus could come forth in and through me. So first he calls us, then he kills us. Hallelujah. (laughs) I'm really interested in leadership, I'm really interested in how God forms and shapes leaders, and my favorite book on the topic is called Bobby Clinton, The Making of a Leader. Highly recommend it, The Making of a Leader. Bobby Clinton spent 30 years teaching this course at Fuller Theological Seminary, and he studied 3,000 case studies of biblical and historical leaders, and in the midst of his study, he discovered patterns and frameworks that help us to understand how God shapes leaders. So I don't want you at this particular moment to tune out going, oh, well, she's just talking about leaders. That doesn't apply to me, because I've got news for you. You are all leaders. You are all leaders. Jesus is invited and commanded, actually, all of us to go and make disciples. We are all influencers bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth through the people in our circles of care and concern. That makes you a leader. So I want you all to say out there, I won't be able to hear you, but say it anyway. I'm a leader. And then I want you, if you're, if you're at home with somebody else, maybe your husband or your wife or your children, turn to them and say, you're a leader. We are all leaders. And here are some ways that God shapes leaders. I call them the three C's. And this is what Robert Clinton says. He talks about complication, conflict, and crisis. God shapes leaders through complication, conflict, and crisis. So complication, we've got a plan. We know where we want to go. Maybe we've got our five-year five plan. And then all of a sudden, something happens, and it gets complicated. Somebody throws a spanner into the works. Somebody doesn't keep a commitment. Something happens. Life gets complicated. And we discover, ultimately, that it's God who will make our plans a success. That we cannot do it by our own blood, sweat, and tears. At least we can't do the God-sized things that he wants to do through our life. And so when complications come, we get this opportunity to develop inner life maturity. And we get to develop dependency on God, who's the only one who can make our big dreams happen. And then God uses conflict. I know we all love conflict, right? Woo, gotta love conflict. <laughs> happens all the time. As soon as you get two people in a room, there's your opportunity for conflict. But God uses conflict, whether personal conflict or ministry-related conflict, to develop our, again our dependency on God, to develop our relationship skills, to develop our communication skills, to help us grow in humility when we discover we're wrong in the conflict. <laughs> conflict shapes and forms us as a leader. And then finally in crisis, some of you may have had small crises in your life, some of you may have had large crises in our life. In crisis the leader sees that their only hope is in God. Our only hope is in God and then we experience God in a new way in the midst of our crisis. We see God is the only one who can meet us in that major experience of our life. And not only does he meet us, but he meets us in a way that is bespoke and personalized to us, deeply personal. He brings us through. I've had a number of completely unsolvable problems in my life, crises that I had no way to get out of myself. And all I can do is when I look in the rearview mirror is say, look at what the Lord has done. Look at what God has done. So in the midst, we get these complications, and we get these conflicts, and we get these crises. They're tests of a sort in the life of a leader, and sometimes we pass the test. Sometimes we don't pass the test, (laughs) and I love God's response because at least this is how God does it with me. He's like, ah, honey, you didn't pass that test. That's okay. We'll just do it again. (laughs) So he takes us around again till we get it. It's not a pass or fail. God is not interested in pass or fail. He's interested in mastery. He will continue to shape and form our lives until we grow into the kind of men and women that that he wants us to be. And so as we deal, as we go through this crucible of complications and conflicts and crises, we develop confidence, God confidence, not self-confidence, I think that Joseph had a lot of swagger at the front end. He's like, yeah, I'm Joseph. I'm the dreamer. <laughs> I'm going somewhere. At the end, we see, we'll see something entirely different. But we develop God confidence. We develop competencies. We just get it better at doing stuff because stuff is hard to do, and then we learn how to do it. And, and then we grow in character. And the overall effect is that we grow in spiritual authority. And people sense that spiritual authority on our lives and that gives us a doorway of influence into their lives. Joseph had talent. He had giftedness. We see in the story he's 17 years old like that first doctor in the Guinness Book of World Records. He had spiritual gifts. He could connect with God through dreams. He was spiritually sensitive. And he had obvious leadership ability. He rose quickly in Potiphar's house. To a place of responsibility and even when they chucked him in prison, he was leading it after a while. <laughs> but did he have the wisdom, the character, to match his gifting? I mean, it's one thing to get revelation through dreams and another thing entirely to have the wisdom to know what to do with the revelation, right? He got that revelation. I had a dream, you're all bowing down to me. <laughs> that might not have been the wisest thing to do with that little bit of revelation that he had. But he grows in his understanding. He grows in his wisdom. That's so important because if we're honest, if we're honest, we have all either read about in the news and certainly we have this year or we've seen or perhaps we have suffered under leaders who maybe are gifted, maybe they're bright, maybe they're hardworking, maybe they've got positional authority but perhaps they don't have the character or the God confidence or true spiritual authority. I'm sure we've all met or heard about leaders like that. I know I have been sometimes a leader like that myself. So what if God is far more interested in what he's doing in us than what he's doing through us? I would argue that God is not primarily interested in our giftedness or our talent. God doesn't need our A-game. I'm going to say that again. God does not need your A-game. 1 Corinthians 1.27, it's clear. It says, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God is not looking for your A-game. He's looking for dependence on him. He's looking for humility. He's looking for teachability. He's looking for integrity and we'll talk more about that next week and if we cultivate those things in the midst of complications and crisis then he will grow us in spiritual authority and he will expand our influence and responsibility i love this quote from henry nowen the great illusion of leadership is to think that a man or a woman <laughs> can be led out of the desert by someone who has never been there we can only lead people through territory we have traversed ourselves. In the crucible of all of those complications and crisis and conflict, Joseph is forged into the kind of a leader that God could trust to lead and to save a nation. And in particular, I really enjoy this part of the story where we see the, the change in, in, Jake, in Joseph's focus and his orientation over the course of the story. At the beginning, it's all about him. It's all about me, Jesus. (laughs) It's all about him. He's like, I had a dream, right? So he's focused on his gift and what it will bring his way. But 13 years later, he's learned the vital truth. Here's the vital truth. Joseph, it's not about you. I need to learn that truth all the time. Jill, it's not about you. I still need to learn that every day. I need somebody to say that to me every day. I think, Jill, this is not about you. By the end, we see that God is center stage in Joseph's mind. And God is on display through Joseph's life. He's lost his swagger, but he has gained God confidence. When asked to interpret the Pharaoh's dream, Joseph says, I can't do it. Not about me. He says, I can't do it. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. And Pharaoh notices, doesn't he? He says, goes on to say, Can we find anyone like this man in whom is the Spirit of God? The Spirit of God is evident in his life, and he gives him authority over the whole nation. God is center stage in Joseph's mind, and God is on display through Joseph's life. So for some of us, this last year may have felt like the pit or the prison. Some of us have felt like maybe our road to happy destiny has gotten us lost in the woods or lying face down in a ditch. But I just want to declare over every single one of you today, every single one of you, with no exception, in actuality this year has been your year of preparation. God is forging spiritual authority in you through all of the crises, through all of the complications, through all of the conflict. And through it all, whether you can perceive it or not, he is with you and he is for you. Trust the process. Trust the process. Trust that God is at work in you and be confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. Let's just pray together. God, here I am, wherever I am, whether I'm in the pit or the prison or <laughs> lost in the woods or wherever I find myself. God, I look to you. and I just take a moment to acknowledge whether I feel it or not, you are here with me. And not only are you here with me, but you are shaping me, forging me. You are making me a leader, somebody who will bring the influence of the kingdom of heaven to those around me. You're shaping me and forming me so that you are foremost and forefront in my mind and heart, and you are on display in my life. I receive that, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.